Well, there's concrete evidence from the countries which have introduced euthanasia or assisted suicide that the availability and application of it expands to situations not initially envisaged. And that's because you get a newly permitted activity and it's characterized as a human right. And the overseas experience is that there is an inevitable push to extend such a right to a greater number of people, such as those with chronic conditions, disabilities, mental illness, those simply tired of life, or even children. Even one of the key proponents of our new euthanasia law admitted during the debate many years ago that, yeah, there was some expansion that needed to wait. It was part of the strategy. It was subtle now. Uh, it was subtle then, sorry, but it's obvious now. And the latest stats have just come out. Let's check it. So after almost a year of euthanasia and assisted suicide being legal in New Zealand, and we're one of very few countries that allow it, eight other countries, uh, about 11 American states and two Australian states, so very few countries in the big world picture. But the architect of New Zealand's law, Axe David Seymour, already is moaning and says he wants it expanded, despite the fact that more than 200 have already had assistance by the state to have assisted suicide. Now, to be allowed assisted suicide, you have to have a terminal illness likely to end your life within six months. And as we all know, diagnosing and then giving an accurate prognosis of how long someone has to live is never exact. In fact, there are many, many examples of people who have been given 12 to 18 months and have lived up to a decade. And Seymour said he agreed to the six-month requirement to gain the support of the Green Party to pass the bill. His original bill would have allowed non-terminal patients with grievous and irremediable conditions to get access to voluntary euthanasia. And some uh, groups argued that the definition was too broad and raised concerns it could make assisted dying available to disabled people or mental health patients. So according to the report, here's the total number of applications for euthanasia. And what's very obvious is that it's gradually increasing. No surprise, it will continue to do that as it becomes more normalized. And then the actual approved euthanasia, once again, a slow start and then expansion. Now, doctors have told the New Zealand Herald that there's a shortage of medical professionals who can carry out assessments in some parts of the country, which could be contributing to delays in applications. Ah, uh, yes, that's the great news. Just like abortion, the overwhelming majority of medical professionals want absolutely nothing to do with assisted suicide. Just 130 medical professionals in the whole of the country want to be involved. Uh, ironically, Seymour tried to argue that there are unnecessary delays in the process, and he said, quote, anecdotally, it can take two months to get through the entire process, end quote. Uh, fake news. According to a puff piece for euthanasia by the New Zealand Herald, uh, Death with a View, it says, quote, The whole process takes a few weeks between a first inquiry and the lethal dose, but some cases have been expedited to days when a patient's death was imminent, end quote. Yeah, not exactly two months, as according to David Seymour, and yep, just days as we warned. And remember, the family does not need to be informed or warned. Now, Dr. John Kleinsman from the Catholic organization, the Nathaniel Center, 
said he wanted the ministry to collect a broader range of data on assisted dying, including people's reasons for choosing it, because it could help safeguard against wrongful deaths by helping to identify whether people felt a duty to die because they're a burden on the family or caregivers. Exactly, when cost or coercion or simply vulnerability is the key factor for requesting this. Where's the safeguard for that being measured? Now, uh, <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't only the New Zealand Herald doing puff pieces on the euthanasia law's first anniversary. Uh, stuff came to the party with their article, Doctors Reflect on Emotional and Rewarding First Year. Uh, and interestingly, the euthanasia doctor in this article, as I mentioned, one of very few, says, quote, people are in severe pain, modern medicine cannot fix, end quote. But then it says the first person he assisted wanted to die before she lost all her functions. So was pain even the issue? And what does that say to an already disabled person who battles with limited function on a daily basis? Now, in this article, the doctor also admits that uh, he said he was scared it being the first time doing something like this. It was quite emotional, but it was soon normalized. He said, I remember the third or fourth person whose death I was involved with. The man's last words were to thank me as he was slipping off into sleep. I just feel happy now. Uh, actually, sorry, there was one other puff piece, the listener, also campaigning for an expansion of the law. And in a six-page feature, they managed to avoid talking to any opponents of euthanasia. That's pretty impressive bias right there. So much for investigative journalism. But I think that's one other interesting statistic is the ethnic breakdown. If you look at this graph, Māori represent just 5% of assisted suicides, yet they're almost 17% of the population. Pacific, 0.5%, uh, yet they're 8% of the population. And Asian, only just under 2% of all assisted suicides, yet they represent 15% of the population. Pākehā, European, almost 80% wanting euthanasia, but they're only 70% of the population. 80% of total euthanasia were Pākehā. Despite the fact we all die at the same rate, assisted suicide seems to be about one particular group. Now, just a quick check overseas at what's happening, because this should warn us. In Victoria, Australia, the number of Victorians using voluntary assisted dying has increased by 31% in a single year. And the chairman of the Voluntary Assisted Dying Review Board said he was delighted with the results because the number of people seeking to access voluntary assisted dying continues to increase. And that's a success. Uh, as Michael Cook from Mercadonet says in this article, a steady increase in the number of deaths is a strange metric of success. Does that mean hypothetically 100,000 deaths would constitute success beyond their wildest dreams? Uh, now in Belgium, Doctors are under investigation after a physically healthy 23-year-old woman was euthanized at her request because of her mental health difficulties. She suffered from depression and post-traumatic stress disorder after surviving an ISIS attack at Brussels airport in 2016. Uh, and under Brussels law, if you have unbearable physical or mental pain that cannot be alleviated, you can be euthanized. There's no lower age limit. Now, she didn't suffer any physical injuries from the terrorist attack, 
which killed 32 people, but she developed post-traumatic stress disorder and had attempted suicide twice before. So the state stepped in to help her with her attempts. Tragic. Uh, in Canada, in March of next year, Canada will become one of the few nations in the world allowing medical aid in dying for people whose sole underlying condition is depression, bipolar disorder, personality disorder, schizophrenia, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, or any other mental affliction. Uh, this is Canadian Ian Nichols. He had a history of depression and other medical issues. None were life-threatening, but when the 61-year-old Canadian was hospitalized in 2019 over fears he might be suicidal, he asked his brother to bust him out as soon as possible, but within a month, he'd submitted a request to be euthanized and he was killed, despite concerns raised by his family and a nurse practitioner. His application for euthanasia listed only one health condition as a reason for his request to die, hearing loss. And then there is the story. Oh no, you're running. <laughs> Do you want another belly rub? Everyone comes in and we sit around dad and they give him the medications and that was that. This is, it's a little dusty because I had it in storage, but uh, this is dad. And uh, yeah, dad absolutely loved his Cleo and uh, he never got over the loss of mom when she passed. You said 2013. We've yeah. got the autopsy report. No, and it's frustrating because anything with his heart. He felt that he was more of a nuisance to the, to the staff there and that um, he was, it was just easier just to go and not be a bother to anybody. Friendly dog meeting. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was for like everyday people, basically, right? Until my sister Sue said, hey, no, this is actually a thing in Canada now. Yeah, pretty disturbing, isn't it? And, and note that that's not from a uh, anti-euthanasia group. That's from the Associated Press that did that report. Now, one other comment that David Seymour made to the New Zealand Herald, he said, a year after coming into force, the End of Life Choice Act was working well and that opponents of the law change had melted away. Dream on, David. Dream on. With elder abuse, increasing health costs, mental illness, devaluing of disabled people, weak accountability, and opposition from most medical professionals, we ain't going anywhere. Uh, and just finally, read our fact sheet on this issue. It's on our website, familyfirst.nz, so you know exactly what the law allows. Look, nothing in this law guarantees the protection required for vulnerable people, including the disabled, elderly, depressed or anxious, and those who feel themselves to be a burden or who are under financial pressure. The international evidence backs up these concerns and explains why so few countries have made any changes to the law around this issue. So sorry, David Seymour, we ain't going away. Mm -hmm.